And the title of our sermon today is God Knew the Cost to Save Us and Willingly Paid It. Knowing the cost for something is much different than a willingness and ability to pay it. I see commercials for new trucks on TV all the time that I'm willing to buy. I'm just not able. Knowing the cost of something isn't enough. Being willing to pay it isn't enough. You also have to be able to pay it, and he was. God knew the cost to save us, and he willingly paid it, and he, he was capable of doing so. Just to catch you up on where we've been, I'm going to spend 30 seconds reviewing 1 Peter. We have, this is a letter from Peter written to these Christians who are elect exiles, so we don't know exactly what that means. They were scattered in, throughout this region, whether it was through persecution that they were scattered or whether they were scattered and, and experienced persecution afterwards. It's not real clear in the letter, but we know that they did experience trials of various kinds, as, as it said, and that God used those things for their good, that even though they went through suffering, they went through pain, God used it for their good and for his glory, and we have seen that over the last few weeks, and we have seen how God offers a salvation to them, to us, that is kept for us in heaven, that is imperishable, undefiled, all these things that we've already read and it's already been described. It's not perishable, um, like silver or gold, and we're going to see some of that, uh, some more of that today as, as we read. And so, if you will, we're going to start at 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 17, and remember that he is talking about salvation. He has been talking to them about if they're saved, if they have a relationship with God, that he, they are to prepare themselves for action, that salvation should lead to works, not our works don't save us, but if we're saved, it should lead us to do good works and to be a certain type of person, uh, a, a person that is obedient to Jesus, a person who loves others. And so as obedient children, he gives us some instructions on what to do in the previous verses, and ultimately it turns out that we are to be holy as God is holy. And we discussed how we cannot be perfectly holy on this side of eternity, but as we follow God, hopefully he is transforming us more and more into his image so that we can serve him better. And in verse 17, right after he says, uh, you shall be holy for I am holy, in verse 17 he picks up here, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, Let's make it clear that the exile that he's talking about here is more than just being scattered. This is an exile, and he was probably referring to this earlier, and he's definitely referring to it now, um, that this is an exile of we are not in heaven yet. We are in this place that is not our home yet. We're, we're headed in that direction. God has made it possible for us to get there. But if we're still breathing, we're not there yet. Now, the people that he wrote this to died a long, long time ago, so we can assume that they are there now, but we are not. So let's look at that verse even word by word. So not only are we to be, be holy, but it says, and if you call on him as father, how many of you have done this? How many of you have called on God as father? How many of you have gone to him in prayer and intimately said, I need you, <laughs> please help me. 
as you would go to your father in a time of desperation, as you, as you would ask for his help, as you would ask for his wisdom, as you would ask for whatever it is, how many of you have gone to him in, in a time of need and said, Father, please save me? How many of you have a relationship with God? How many of you have gone to him in a time and said, please save this other person, this person I love? We are to go to him as father. We are to call on him as father. And that part is not debatable for Christians. If we have a relationship with him, then surely we're going to want to talk to him. We're going to want to pray. We're going to want to call on him. And how should we call on him? Well, one way is as father. But if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. This part's a little scary because how many of you have done some deeds that you don't really want to be judged over. I'm going to read in Exodus chapter 20. This won't be on the screen, but feel free to turn there in your Bibles if you want. Uh, We're not going to read this whole chapter or anything. This is just one of the locations of the Ten Commandments in in Scripture. And I'm going to read through some of these Ten Commandments because it says here that, that the Father judges impartially according to each one's deeds. So I'm going to ask you some questions, and many of you have been raising your hand, so I appreciate that participation. Uh, And I'm going to ask that you would continue to do so. So how many of you have ever dishonored your father and mother? Anybody ever dishonored your father and mother? Some of y'all are lying. Okay. Has anyone in here ever told a lie? Anybody ever told a lie, no matter how innocent little it was? Innocent. All right. So you're liars. Um, How many of you in here have ever stolen, stolen something, no matter how low the value? How many of you in here have ever stolen anything? thieves all right don't answer this right away but there is a a commandment that says you shall not commit adultery Uh, but Jesus takes that a little farther and he says that if you have committed lust in your heart you have committed adultery so how many in you according to Jesus's definition have committed adultery a few of you brave ones in here Again, adulterers, you shall not murder. Again, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, if you have hated your brother in your heart, then what have you done? You have murdered. How many of you have ever hated your brother in your heart? Murderers. It's not looking good for us, guys. Now, I say this in humor because we wouldn't be laughing if we were going to be judged according to these deeds, would we? But 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 says, if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially 
according to each one's deeds. You see, the truth is, is that God is going to judge according to those deeds and, and more. I mean, holiness is not defined by a few commandments, right? Holiness is perfection. How many of you in here are perfect? Anybody in here perfect? Never sinned. According to Scripture, there's only one who is perfect. That would be Jesus. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. And, and Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, I think that we have forgotten the effects of sin, the cost of sin. And I'm not saying that you in here, you specifically, I'm not pointing anybody out of who has forgotten. I'm just saying that we as sinners, saved by grace, for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, who have been saved, that even for those of us who have been saved, sometimes it's easy to forget exactly what we have been saved from. We have been saved from the effects of this judgment. Because he will judge impartially. You will get what you deserve as far as the punishment of your sins will get what they deserve, I should say. And let me ask you something before you say, oh, God is bad and, and he, he's going to judge and man, he must not be a very kind God. It's not true at all and we'll get to the full effect of why that's not true. But let's say that someone broke into your home, God forbid, and they saw everything you had of value. If you're like me, they wouldn't be getting away with much. But let's say that they did that. And then uh, they're caught. The police catch who did it. And they arrest him. And he goes before the judge or she. I mean, you know, equality. He or she goes before the judge. And the judge says, uh, what happened? He's told what's happened that this person broke into your home and stole all your goods and, uh, and they spent all that, they sold it, they spent all that money, it's gone, you're not getting your goods back. That's what happened. Um, and the judge says, well, what do you have to say for yourself, thief? And, and the thief says, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, you're free to go. No repercussions. Is that fair? No. What's fair is for a judge to do his job, right? We're not asking for something that's unfair. We're not asking for him to favor us any more than he's favoring the other person. Uh, but what's fair is for a judge to judge according to the law. And we have a God who knows the perfect law. And what's fair is for him to judge according to the law. It would not be fair for some people to get away with some things and others not to. That wouldn't be fair. If, if it's a family Sunday, so we have some K-3rd through third grade 
in here with us. So um, that's the example I'm going to give. But think about other laws that could be broken. Don't we want justice? We, We want justice unless it comes to us. We want justice until it's our actions that are going to be judged. But the Bible is clear that all of us will be judged. We are going to be judged by a loving God. We are going to be judged by a God who gave us every possible way out. We are going to be judged by a God who desires that no man shall perish, according to Scripture. We are going to be judged by a God who was willing to send his son, as we will look at in just a moment, so that we could have life. We are going to be judged by a God of love, but we are going to be judged by a God of wrath, who will pour out his wrath on all sin, on all pain that was caused, on all the wrongs that were done. He is going to make things right. He is going to judge sin, and he's going to judge impartially. He is not going to your education or your wealth or your lack thereof will not affect his judgment. You will have no excuses when you stand before God. He will judge impartially. And I'm not, I'm not trying to like, depress you all for the rest of the day. I'm just preaching what the Word says. And this is what the Word says to this point so far in this passage. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. That's what we've read so far. And how many of you want to be judged according to your deeds? Anybody? Are we going to be able to stand before God according to our deeds and say, here's why I deserve to get into heaven. Here's how I never wronged you. Here's how I deserve not to be punished. No, none of us can stand before him and say, I've never wronged you. Now, for a lot of us, we are going to have something we can say in that moment of judgment, but let's continue reading. Conduct yourselves, if you call on him as Father. So if you're saved, and if you know that we will all be standing before God one day, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, he's not saying be scared and tremble every single day that you're, you're going to do something wrong. That's not, when the Bible's talking about fear, it's talking about reverence and respect and an understanding of the power of God and standing before him. And yes, at, at moments, trembling in the fear of who he is and what he's able to do. Because he is God and we are not. Because he is all-powerful. And our power is very limited, and some limited, more limited than others. And he, compared to, to his power, we all have feudal power. And so we are to conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile, continuing in verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. So the sins that we used to give into, the sins that we used to give into the passions of those things, we're not to live that way anymore. We're not to live according to the feudal ways anymore. And why? 
because we were ransomed from the feudal ways. So you know what a ransom is, many of you. Let's say that um, I'm kidnapped. I don't know why anybody would want me, but let's just pretend I'm kidnapped and they're holding me ransom. And y'all just live in my fantasy world for a second. And you guys really wanted me back. And the kidnapper said, you can have him back. Let's just put a value on my life uh, for $428. And you guys started passing the offering plate. Some of y'all said we don't negotiate with terrorists, but love prevailed. And you, you, you got that $428, and you paid it to the kidnapper, and you got me back. That's a ransom, right? Is when an amount is paid in order to free someone from their kidnappers, from their abductors. And so in this case, who was the abductor? Sin. The old way. The feudal way. Sin, our sins, the sin that we were born into, sin kidnapped us and took us hostage. And it had us. And in order for us to be turned over and not receive that judgment that I was talking about earlier, for every human to not be judged in a way that sent them to hell, to pay for the wrong that they have done, there was a requirement. And you know what that requirement was. You know what that price was that had to be paid. But let's be honest before we even talk about that. Something is only worth, as I've mentioned in a sermon, I don't know, about a year and a half ago, something is only worth what you're willing to pay for it. Right? If, if there was a piece of art hanging back here and it had my signature on it, just trust me, no one in here would be willing to pay more than whatever the materials cost, probably. Because it would not be worth much. Because I'm not an artist and my signature means nothing. But if there was a painting back here say the starry night, and it had Van Gogh's signature on it, it would be a lot more valuable. Now, what's the value? Well, something like that. How can you value that? So the value is going to be what someone is willing to pay for. Right? If you've got $5 in your wallet, and you go to McDonald's, I can suggest some other places that I would rather go, but let's say McDonald's, and you're looking at the menu, and let's say the, the, uh, the McDouble, they still have McDoubles, right? Man, I used to eat those things in college. But anyway, the McDouble, back then it was 99 cents. I don't know how much it is now. But let's say it's $2. And you think to yourself, $2 for a McDouble. That seems pretty fair. 
I actually don't know how you sell a hamburger for $2, but anyway. But let's say that instead of $2, that McDouble was $148. How many of y'all are getting a McDouble for lunch? $148 for a cheeseburger. Might not be worth it. How many of y'all remember when gas was over $3 a gallon? Anybody remember? How many of you still paid $3 a gallon for gas? I didn't travel as much, but it was worth it for me to have gas to get to work and back, so I paid what they required at the pump. You pay what something is worth. And so I would say that our lives are pretty priceless in the eyes of God because of what he paid for. Now, I'm going to continue reading. I'm going to start at the beginning of verse 18 and keep going. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways you inherited for your from your forefathers. So God paid a price to rescue us. He paid a ransom to rescue us from sin from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. So, so far we know that this price he paid was not a monetary value such as silver or gold, something that would, would pass away. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, so what's the price that God paid in order to save us? It was the blood of his son. It was Jesus. Jesus willingly came to this earth. He willingly went to the cross. He did that in order to, yes, glorify the Father, but he did that to save us from our sins. And if he was willing to do that for us, then we have to remember that. We have to live in that truth. Let me ask you a question. I'm asking you guys to be very transparent this morning. But how many of you have ever, after you became a Christian, so this is a question for those of you in here who are Christians. After you became a follower of Jesus, how many of you ever went back to an old sin, or maybe a new sin, and you gave in to that temptation even after you were saved? Everyone in here that's a Christian, probably. Unless you were saved 20 seconds ago. When we do that, we're taking advantage of what Christ has done for us. And now, look, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to mess up. And when we do, we live in the freedom of God's grace if we, if we have a relationship with Him. If His blood covers us in, in a figurative sense like this, where... His blood paid the price to free us from sin. That's sin, period. That is all past sin, all current sin, all future sin. If we have a relationship with Jesus, if his sin covers us, it covers us. It, it's not, there's no limit on what he can cover. It's not like, okay, you sin and you sin and you sin, and oh, I, I reached that point. I've sinned too much. His blood can't cover that. The blood of Christ can cover anything, any sin, all sins. But that should not give us an excuse to continue sinning. And I'm preaching to myself here. That should not give us an excuse to keep on sinning. 
That should not give us an excuse in this lackadaisical attitude that, well, I mean, I'm going to be forgiven. If we can get to a place of thinking like that, then we need to start questioning whether we really have a relationship with Jesus or not. I'm not saying you don't, but there's plenty of warning passages in Scripture that would warn us against an attitude like that. And it would say that it's not healthy or not of Christ. And so remember that we were ransomed not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Verse 20, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. We've talked about this before. He already existed before the foundation of the world, but He wasn't born as a human. He wasn't born as Jesus, as man, until their time. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Made manifest in the last times, saying the times, as soon as Jesus came, the end times began. It's not the last time, but these last times. For the sake of you. So who is you? For whose sake? For the sake of you, who, verse 21, through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So who, who can have hope? For whom did Christ come? Well, I, I personally believe that Christ came for anyone who would put their faith in him. But... Let me ask you this, and I'm sure a lot of you have thought about this. But what good does Christ's coming do for those who don't know Him? Who won't know Him? How sad is it that such a price was paid for our ransom? And that some people choose to stay with the kidnapper. Some people choose to stay with the sin. Rather than giving their life to God, who loved them so much that he sent his only son. And you know the rest of John 3.16. Whoever believes in him shall what? Not perish. We don't have to be drugged down by sin. We don't have to be taken to hell by sin. One day we will all stand before God and He will judge impartially. And He will look at us and He will see our deeds and one of two things will happen. He will look at us and He will see our deeds and He will say, you will pay for those deeds. You have done wrong. I am a good judge. And we will pay for those things in hell. Or he will look at us and he will see our deeds and he will say, I will judge those deeds impartially. And I have done so through the blood of Christ. I've paid for that sin already. You can enter into my presence. 
into heaven. We will, all of our sins will be judged. The question is, has the debt been paid or not? Let's go back to that earthly judge. What if the person who kidnapped me, um, Kenny came up, because y'all know how good of a guy Kenny is, and he, uh, he said, Judge, I would like for that person to have another chance. Whatever his sentence is, I want to serve that for him. That's what, in essence, Christ did for us. The sins were not just magically taken care of to where they didn't matter anymore. It's not like God said, oh, you put faith in me, you believe in me, therefore the sins disappear. No. The sins were paid for. All sins will be paid for. They either were paid for by Christ on the cross or they will be paid for by us in eternity. And so for those of you who do not know Jesus, who have not become a follower of Jesus, I promise I am not trying to manipulate you or trick you into following Jesus through this fear tactic. I'm not doing that. I'm teaching the truth of what the Scripture says. We're going through 1 Peter. This is where we are today. This is where, what, what it says. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tell you the truth about the cost of sin and what it will do to us, but the better truth of who Jesus is and what he offers us, the salvation he offers us. And for those of you who are already Christians in here, if you're not a Christian, you can put your faith in Jesus today. You can ask him to forgive you of your sins, to cover your sins today. And if you do that, we are to start living for him. So for those of you who are already Christians, are you living for him? Are you taking advantage of his grace? Are you, even though you've been freed from the ransom, are you coming back over here willingly and, and living in sin? And I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of week after week looking up, month after month looking up and seeing that I have found my way back here rather than the freedom that I should be living in and the honoring and the glorifying of God that I should be living in and the obedience to God that I should be living in. I should be holy as He is holy, and yet where am I finding myself time and time again? And so for those of us in here who are Christians, we are to truly look at the cost of our freedom. We are to look at what Christ paid, what God paid in order to free us from sin. And we're not to go back there. We're not to give in to those things because those things are what caused the death of Jesus. We're not to go back there. We're to live for Him wholeheartedly. I'm going to read this passage all together one more time and this is our close as, as our, we get ready for our invitation. I'm going to start in verse 17. I'm going to go all the way through verse 21. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, 
knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. If our faith and hope is in him, let's live for him. Let's not go back to sin. Let's live in freedom. Let's live in obedience. Let's be holy as he is holy. And when we fail, because we will fail, when we sin, because we will sin, then we thank God for his forgiveness. We ask him to forgive us for fellowship's sake, but we thank God that we are already forgiven for relationship's sake. We thank God that when we stand before him and when he judges impartially, that our judgment was put on Jesus on the cross. We thank God for the freedom he gives us. We don't take advantage of it. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that now as we look at your word, as we see the truth that it teaches, that we would, without reservation, give our whole lives to you. If we're not a Christian in here, if we've never become a follower of Jesus, then I pray that you would show us truth and show our hearts that we need you, that you loved us so much, that you sent your son, but that you are a good judge and you will judge impartially one day. And God, I pray that for all of us who don't know you, that, that you would change our hearts, that you would give us faith before that day comes. And those for us, for those of us who are Christians, for those of us in this room who know you, Lord, help us to live wholeheartedly without abandon, Lord, for you, that we would persevere to the end in faithfulness, that we would not go back to sin, which costs so much, but that we would live in obedience to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.